You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and David's pick on America's Web Radio. And we have a great, great guest on today, Carl Skip Bell. And we'll be with uh, Skip in just a moment. I should say Colonel Bell. And I should be at attention, as a matter of fact. But I think he'll let me forego that today. Anyway, we're going to start out like we always start out these days, and that's with a moment of silence in memory of those that have raised their hand and paid the ultimate price. They signed the check and paid the ultimate price, as my friend J. Roy Ritchie did, and so many, many others in so many other conflicts. So let's think about them for a minute and those that are serving now and our future servicemen and women. We'll be back in one minute. And uh, amen, and thank you for joining us on David's Pick. And the other thing that we uh, do and everybody loves, in fact, I get comments on it all the time, that uh, they they like both. They they like our moment of silence and uh, appreciation of the men and women that have raised their hand. And don't forget that uh, May the 31st is Memorial Day, and uh, we'll all be... As always, respecting our veterans, more than I can say for some folks in D.C. But anyway, the other thing that people like and we're going to play right now is they love our Jodies. Okay, and uh, I think everybody would uh, give in to the fact that those Jodies, those cadence calls, are what got us the uh, last half mile in a force march, or the last half mile as we were double-timing through dust, particularly at Fort Hood in Texas. Uh, So anyway, we're very proud to have Skip Bell on, Skip uh, I should say Colonel Bell uh, was a pilot, a helicopter pilot in uh, Vietnam, and we always, always salute our dust-off pilots and our pilots in Vietnam, the helicopter pilots, whether it was a gunship, whatever it might have been. They did one heck of a job, and I guess Vietnam really was the introduction totally Helicopters were introduced a little bit, but not really armed in Korea. But come Vietnam, helicopters played a major, major role in Vietnam. And we salute them all, and we salute particularly the dust-off pilots that 
I don't know if they were just daring or crazy, but they did things that were just absolutely incredible. And as we found out yesterday, those Chinook pilots, they were pretty incredible as well. And uh, they delivered the needy, the needs, uh, whether it was uh, ammunition or whatever the need might ha- happen to be, they, they did the heavy hauling. But anyway... Skip, welcome to America's Web Radio. Thank you, sir. Oh, no. Glad to be here. Well, I, I, you don't have to serve me. I, I was just a grunt. So <laughs> I, I, I salute you and stand at attention for the whole hour. Oh, please don't. <laughs> well, I may be dumb, but I ain't stupid. Uh, but I do respect you, and I respect all officers, and, and I respect very much everyone that... Uh, was in country and did their part. And uh, you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, yes, I, I graduated from North Georgia College uh, in 1967 and uh, went in the Army uh, right away. Um, I was uh, commissioned as a second lieutenant of armor. Um, so, but and and I was commissioned regular army, which meant that I had to go in right away. And so, they sent me to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, uh, to work with uh, with basic trainees until I was ready. Until my school slot came open, uh, which was in August. So, I was working with trainees that had more time in the service than I did, uh, <laughs> but. But I didn't tell them that. Um, I went to Fort Knox for basic school, and they they had, I guess they were trying to get us into the pipeline quicker, so they had a, a six-week basic course for regular Army officers, which I thought was kind of dumb. And while I was there, I volunteered for Ranger training um, and was, and, and airborne, uh, uh, I was able to get ranger school, but not airborne school because I wasn't going to a jump slot. Uh, but then I did nine weeks of ranger training. So at the end of it all, I was much more qualified to be a, an infantry type than I was uh, to be an armor type. But anyway, that's you know that was the way the army worked. Um, so you spent uh, some I'm, time in I'm Georgia. Sorry? You spent some time in Georgia in ranger school, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, Three weeks down at Fort Benning, and then three weeks up in Dahlonega, and then three weeks down at Eglin uh, Air Force Base in Florida for the, the jungle training. Did you ever go to the Smith House in Dahlonega? Yes, sir. Not much, because <laughs> I couldn't afford it. Um, when, when, uh, when I went to college in Dahlonega, there were basically three places that you could eat uh, Dahlonega was, of course, 400 didn't exist at that time. Dahlonega was literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there was a Dairy Queen, there was a Smith House, and then there was one other, um, one other kind of cafe-type place. Um, but as a cadet, I, you know, I, I, couldn't afford, I couldn't afford the Smith House. I would, I would get to go there when my parents would come to visit, but that was about the only, the only time. Um, but yeah, Smith House, good stuff. Yeah, where where are you originally from? Well, my dad was in the army, so uh, I, I mean, I was born in Georgia. I was born at Emory, um, but uh, we moved around a lot, uh, and I, I guess I went to about 
10 different schools and before I graduated from high school. Uh, I, we did live in Greece for two and a half years when I was ninth, 10th, and half the 11th grade, which was kind of a neat experience. Um, and then my father went back uh, to uh, the 82nd Airborne at, at Fort Bragg, and that's where he was when I graduated from high school. So I graduated high school in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, went to college in Georgia because my parents were from Georgia, and we we didn't have to pay out of state fees. So that was kind of the kind of the driving force behind that. Okay, was was uh, North Georgia at that time a military school? Yes, sir. In fact, okay. uh, it was. Um, uh, if you were a male student at North Georgia College, unless you were uh, a veteran, uh, you were expected to be part of the Corps of Cadets. And uh, I think we had about 1,200 students at that time. About 300 of them were females, and at that time the females were not in the, the Corps of Cadets. And then the rest, the rest of the uh, students were males, and they were in the Corps of Cadets, and they were expected to live in the dorm and, you know, stand inspection every morning and all that kind of stuff. You know, I would, uh, and I don't know if you've been to any others, but uh, North Georgia you don't hear a whole lot about. Even today you don't hear that much about it compared to the Citadel or other military schools, obviously West Point, and then my son uh, was in the Corps at Texas A&M, and I'm, mm-hmm. I might add, I'm very proud of him. He's a major in the Air Force, and I always, uh, I have to salute him. Even on the radio, I have to salute him. But uh, <laughs> well, he's your son. You you should. Yeah, and uh, and uh, the only thing I, I hesitate is when he yells at me, uh, "Drop and give me ten." And, uh, <laughs> you know, we 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 have a rank discrimination there. I think. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, but he, you're the dad. I don't think that counts in the Army. I don't know. Maybe it does. But he's in the Air Force, and I'm very, very proud of him. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, I, went, I graduated from Texas Tech, so we had, a, mm-hmm. we had a real conflict, him going to A&M and me graduating oh, yeah. from Tech. So there was a house divided, as they said. But not really, not really. Texas A&M is a wonderful school. And yeah, it is. I, I'm, I'm beginning to hear more and more about North Georgia, and I wish uh, uh, maybe as a graduate you could get somebody from up there to uh, call in. I'd like to interview them and uh, talk to them about North Georgia because it's sort of an, over, like I said, it's sort of an overlooked uh, college in, in many ways. Well, uh, you know, the... the um it was it was a smaller college, I think, than the well, than the Citadel or than Texas A and M or VMI or Norwich or some of the other uh, essentially military colleges. But it it still is counted as I think there's seven um, uh, what are called essentially military colleges in North Georgia, it's, which is now called the University of North Georgia, uh, is one of them. Um, the, interestingly enough, the Corps of Cadets there is now less than 20% of the student body, but, but the, there's more, there's like five campuses now in the University of North Georgia. They've got one in Gainesville and, of course, Dahlonega, and uh, I think they've got one in Dawsonville. Um, anyway, they're scattered out, um, 
but the, as far as uh, as far as the Corps of Cadets is concerned, it still is is maintaining the standards and is actually doing very well in terms of uh, of competitions with other military schools. When you know when it, at ROTC summer camp and uh, they've got a, a kind of a a ranger challenge team that they send out and. Uh, their drill platoon goes out and competes, and they still do very well in those in those things. For those for those folks that don't know about that area of Georgia, uh, it's rather hilly, and uh, that's where the Ranger School is that uh, uh, Skip and I are talking about. Besides uh, besides North Georgia University, but did you ever get a double time up some of those hills? Oh yes, sir, absolutely. <laughs> There's a mountain behind uh, North Georgia called Crown Mountain, and uh, and that was one of the, it's, you know, about three miles up and three miles back kind of thing. And, and uh, uh, yeah, we would we would run up that. We did, we ran around, you know, circle the drill field around the campus and stuff like that. But, yeah, um, and, and it, you know, and it was a great way to get in shape. Oh, I guess. Um, if you made my, it. <laughs> my first well at that time anyway uh, you couldn't have a car uh, until you couldn't legally have a car until you were a junior uh, and even then you had to park your car in the commandant's parking lot and leave your keys uh, you know with the with the commandant and you'd have to sign out for them so um, you didn't there wasn't a lot of leaving of the, of the Dahlonega area on the weekends, uh, and consequently, we did just a lot of hiking, a lot of mountain climbing. You know, that, I mean, that's what we did. So we were all in in pretty good physical condition by the time we got out of there. Oh, I guess. Jeez. So uh, you graduate from from uh, North Georgia and um, get your commission, and and the story and continue the story. Well, uh, after I went through basic and, and ranger school, my first assignment was in Germany to a uh, tank battalion uh, in, in a place called Friedberg. Um, when I got to the unit, um, they saw my ranger tab and they made me the uh, recon platoon leader. Uh, I did that for a year. And uh, I came down on orders for Vietnam. Uh, we were getting, at that time, the Army was just getting levied right and left. In fact, we got levies every week to send, send people you know, out of the unit. So it was really hard to, uh, in terms of training your own unit and all, it was really tough because you didn't know from week to week who was going to be there. And, and, uh, and then I came down on orders after I'd been there about a year of, of what was supposed to have been a two-and-a-half-year assignment, um, and I went to Vietnam um, in uh, February of 1969, um, and I was assigned to the 1st Infantry Division, uh, specifically to the 1st Squadron, 4th Cavalry, which was the, uh, the Divisional Cavalry Squadron. Uh, at that time, I was a 1st Lieutenant and was given a platoon in uh, Alpha Troop and spent four months as a platoon leader in A Troop, which was uh, really uh, a pretty interesting time. Um, 
I, I wouldn't trade anything in the world for it. Um, I got promoted to captain, uh, and they took me out of my platoon, and they made me the squadron supply officer, which I did for about six weeks. And one of the other troop commanders got killed. Uh, unit was making a lot of contact at that point. And since I had been in the field with the, with the squadron before as a platoon leader, uh, the squadron commander uh, asked me to go back out and take that other troop, which I did. And that's what I did for the rest of that tour was, uh, was to be a plat- uh, troop commander. Uh, of, of an armored cavalry troop and an infantry division. And when uh, we come back from our first break, we're going to talk more about that and how you transitioned into a helicopter. That's got to be a whole different story. We'll be back with Colonel Bell right after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support, so please go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand, joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do thank everybody for listening to America's Web Radio. And we're back on the air with uh, our guest today that is Carl Skip Bell. I should say Colonel Carl Skip Bell. Colonel retired. And uh, we were he was in the armored division. And then how did you go from ground to air? Well, after I got back from my first tour in Vietnam, I was sent to uh, the infantry school, oddly enough, uh, down at Fort Benning for what was called the career course, which is a, a course for captains, and it's to teach you how to how to be a company commander, which, of course, I just finished being, and also how to be a battalion staff officer. Well, in the infantry school... They set people alphabetically, and we were in classrooms with about 200 people in them, and it just so happened that everybody that was sitting around me 
uh, was aviators. Uh, it just, again, it was the alphabet, and I guess there was uh, a bunch of people whose names ended or began with, with A's and B's uh, happened to be helicopter pilots, and they were all just back uh, from Vietnam as well, or most of them were. And, you know, I noticed that they had more money than I did, and they were pretty fun to be with people. And, uh, and I got to thinking, well, you know, maybe there's a better way to do this. And so, uh, in fact, there were several people in my class that, uh, that kind of felt the same way. And we, so we took the, the aviation aptitude test and passed that. And then we had to take a flight physical and pass that. Uh, and we volunteered uh, to go learn to fly helicopters. And so at the conclusion of that, uh, of that uh, course at the infantry school, I had orders for Fort Walters, Texas, to go out to uh, take primary helicopter training there. We were out at Walters for four and a half months. Uh, then we went to Fort Rucker, Alabama, for transition into the Huey and for instrument training and for tactics. Uh, and at the end of four and a half months at, at Rucker, uh, we got our wings, and uh, I lucked up and got a Cobra transition out of flight school and uh, went over to Hunter Army Airfield at Fort Stewart or at uh, Savannah. Um, for Cobra training for a month, and then uh, went back to Vietnam again. Wow! And it it must be. Well, let me ask: Do you miss it? Do you miss the Cobra? Not really. Uh, you know, I I actually I, I flew Cobras for about two and a half months, and then the unit that I got assigned to went went home. Uh, this was in 72, 73, so they were sending units home. Um, so I, I flew with an air cav troop for about two and a half months uh, in a gunship, and then uh, after that unit went home, I went to a general support aviation company flying uh, the UH-1, and, and I really liked the UH-1 better than I did the Cobra. Hmm. Um, you know, the Cobra was, was a lot was fun to fly, uh, you know, if you were actually doing what the Cobra was supposed to do, but you spent a lot of time just flying circles, you know, watching watching the little the scout aircraft down close to the ground or, you know, I mean, there was the, the times that you actually did a target attack were, were few and far between. Hmm. Uh, so, but those were pretty exciting when they happened. I bet. Uh, but the, flying the Huey, we had a lot of different missions. You know, we could we could do. We did a lot of resupply. We did uh, some medevac. We did uh, some combat assault. You know, I mean, it, it was a lot of different things. And we did a lot of single ship. Um, you know, off on your own kind of things. And so, I, you know, it was just more of a challenge. I think. Uh, flying the Huey, than, for me anyway, than it was flying a Cobra. You know, did you ever, uh, on some of your missions, feel like you were alone taking on the world? Oh, yeah. Well, the the second unit that I went to, which was the one we were flying, the UH-1, um, we were, we had missions called Providence Support Ships, and basically 
you would go, you'd be, you'd be told, sent to uh, one of the province headquarters, uh, and in this case it was down the Mekong Delta, and you would go to that, that province headquarters and you would fly for the advisors. Uh, and, you know, they, they, you'd just do whatever it was that they, they asked you to do. Uh, and, of course, uh, the spring offensive of 1972 started during that time, and uh, all of a sudden everybody and their uncle was shooting at us, it seemed like. Um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a spate where I came home uh, 17 straight days with bullet holes in my aircraft, which was a long 17 days. Um, but uh, and and most of those missions were single ship. You know, you you go out and and you pick up an advisor and or or a, you know one of the province politicians or something and fly them around. Um, uh, and and you know if somebody got hurt, you'd go in and and pick them up and carry them to a Vietnamese hospital. You know, we did not have medics or anything on board the aircraft, so it was, you know, we didn't, I don't claim to be like a dust-off, because those guys had medics on board, and they they did that routinely, and for me, it was, you know, sort of an every now and again ad hoc type thing. Didn't, and didn't... then, you know, occasionally you'd, you'd have the opportunity to pick up somebody that was shot down you know, like an Air Force forward air controller or something yeah. got mm-hmm. shot down. We'd, we'd try and go help them. So didn't, didn't lots they, of different things, and, and uh, it was it was never boring. Didn't they uh, come back in at, at some point and reinforce the bottom of the Hueys? Well, what they did uh, during the spring offensive of 72, the, the uh, bad guys introduced uh, a shoulder-fired heat-seeking missile, it was a, a Russian-made missile called Estrella, an SA-7. And what uh, what they did, uh, we we sort of tried to reduce the the heat signature on our aircraft. We put a thing that that scooped up uh, the the exhaust from the back of the engine, and and it looked like a toilet seat. In fact, that's what we called it. Uh, and it would deflect the the exhaust up away from the from the back of the aircraft, and then we put some uh, some plates over uh, a couple of other places on the aircraft that emitted heat, like an oil cooler or something. And uh, uh, so they they would they upgraded the aircraft to to reduce that heat signature from the for the missile. Um, of course, they put crashworthy fuel cells in so that, you know, if you did take hits in a, in a fuel cell, and they were, to a certain extent, self-sealing. Um, and, of course, they put armor around the pilot's and co-pilot's seats. Um, but for the most part, the, you know, the helicopters, they would take a lot of hits. I mean, I'm, I'm living proof of that. Uh, but the problem was if they took a hit in the wrong place, you know, it was pretty grim, right. um, but fortunately, that that didn't happen very often. So, you know, I, I like we spoke last night. Uh, the the Huey has the most distinct sound in the world, and uh, for anyone that was wounded, they had to love hearing what was coming towards them because they knew they were going to make it. But let's oh, uh, yeah. let's change subjects just a little bit. You're 
the executive vice president of the Atlanta Vietnam Veterans Business Association. Yes, and uh, I can't, I, I told you, I promised you I wouldn't ask you any hardball questions, but I have to ask you one. And that's when you go to one of your meetings and it's like a, a, just a group of veterans getting together. Can you name or give me the name of one veteran that you know that can tell only one story? That's, that's a great question, and no, I can't. Uh, you know, yeah, the the Atlanta Vietnam Veterans Business Association. I'm really glad you asked me about that because it's uh, I'm I'm so proud to be a part of that. It's it's a good bunch of people, male and female. We've got uh, we've got ladies that were donut dollies over there, and nurses, uh, and then of course we've got people men that had, you know, all manner of jobs from being a Navy SEAL to, you know, being a supply guy to, to uh, legal clerk to chaplain's assistant. I mean, it's a, it's a really eclectic group of people, and the organization has been around, um, well, for 40 years. In fact, we're celebrating our 40th year this year uh, on Veterans Day. Um, and uh, you know we've we've done well. The the purpose of the organization, the re- the reason it was founded to begin with, was uh, to promote the image of the Vietnam veterans, uh, and you know to present a professional appearance and to do things for the community. You know, and and the way it started was there were you know a couple of couple of vets that that were it it were professional people that got tired of seeing the media portray us as, you know, a bunch of drugged out, you know, losers. Um, and, you know, you see the, you know, the, the bearded dude on the street with the, you know, the old fatigue shirt and all, and, and that was what the media claimed was a Vietnam vet. And, and uh, oddly enough, a lot of those guys never served a day anyway. But um, so that was the reason that the AVVBA was started was uh, was to uh, to kind of upgrade that image and and I think to a large extent we have succeeded. We've done a number of different things over the years uh, in terms of community outreach. We have dedicated 26 memorials to um, to KIAs from the Atlanta area, uh, and on these memorials that we've dedicated, I mean, there's a bronze plaque with the individual's name on it. They're in prominent places all around Atlanta and actually the, the surrounding area, um, but it has the individual's name on it and, and what they did. Um, and those memorials are, are really uh, very complex, um, uh, w- well-executed operations. I mean, we have fly, flybys, uh, we get in touch with the, with the families when once an individual is selected to be memorialized. Um, we we contact the family, find out where they would like to have the memorial done, and and we work with them all the way through. You know, we I we usually will have a bagpiper doing Amazing Grace. Uh, back when Forcecom was here, we would get the Forcecom band mm-hmm. uh, to participate. Uh, we would either get a flyover from the Air Force or from uh, uh, the Army Aviation Heritage Foundation uh, down south of Atlanta. 
Um, I mean, it was really, really quite well done. Um, we, we've, we've quit doing that over the last couple of years just because we've, we've, we've kind of run out of people. Um, other things that we do is we, we provide uh, uh, volunteers down at the Atlanta USO. Um, and back in 2005 to about 2015, um, you know, Atlanta was uh, one of the R&R hubs for people coming out of Afghanistan and, and Iraq, if they were going on a two-week R&R back on the east side of the United States, they came into Atlanta. On the west side, they came into Dallas, and uh, Dallas, Texas. And we would greet the soldiers. We would thank them for their service. We would work with the Army transportation people to get help get them booked on aircraft, uh, either leaving, you know, back for their homes, or if they were coming back, to help get them booked on on the aircraft that would be taken back to uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it was it was a great opportunity for us to uh, to thank um, the people that have come since and 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 to let them know how much their service. Is appreciated. Well, it's it's uh, you were wel- welcoming back or helping a brother or a sister, and I think that's yes. one thing the military really uh, it, it is. It's just a big family, and I want to mention uh, because you you mentioned some of the memorials and so forth, but the uh, the healing wall in Johns Creek is a replica of the. Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C., and it's the one that traveled all over the United States, and Johns Creek bought it, and it's now permanently located in Newtown Park. And Yep, and it's a wonderful thing, and uh, Mike Mizell, uh, who is the president of the Johns Creek Veterans, was the, was the uh, driving force behind that, Right, and, and, he, and it is just a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, uh, and and I'm, you know, we're all so grateful to him uh, and to Rick White. I think Rick White had a lot to do with it too. Right, and Rick's the uh, director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if we tell folks, you know, if if you haven't been to it, it's in the Floyd Building, right across the street from the Georgia State Capitol. And it's mm-hmm. well worth taking a day, take your kids, take your grandkids. And read about the heroes from Georgia that have served in the military in one place or the other. I'd be, I'd be, really, I'd be making a mistake if I didn't mention Peachtree Corners as well. They have a, a another, and in fact, Georgia. But I've got to get more information on it. But there's a, a tour that you can take of all the different spots that have uh, memorials and different. Uh, Things dedicated to veterans that have served at one time or the other, and uh, we we did a show yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, Pete Mecca or not, but uh, Pete does a show for us called The Veterans Story. And as you were yes, mentioning uh, women, he brought up the fact that uh, Martha Ray was <laughs> the I don't know whether you call her actress, comedian, whatever she was. I remember her very well, but. Um, she was a, a major in the army and uh, served in Nam, and she was also a nurse. 
and uh, they were short-handed at one point, and she uh, went into the OR and did her thing. And uh, you know, Martha Ray is buried in the Special Forces Cemetery up at Fort Bragg. Yes, sir. Uh, which is uh, a one of the kind. But she must have. I, you know, I remember, but you know, had no idea about her service and. And this is oh, yeah. something that we uh, we like to point out, and we're we're working on something. I can't go into detail right now, but so many wonderful women, and also we always salute the families of the deployed, be it the mother or be it the husband that's been deployed. Uh, the families are deployed as well because they're the backup units to that person that's in country or wherever they may, might be and uh, they're taking the responsibility of they're they're picking up the slack you might say and uh, yeah. it's uh, well I was an army brat and I know you know my mom was was really the heart and soul of our family and she you know she ran she ran the house and paid the bills and took us to you know football practice and 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 did all those things and dad when dad was there he was a great dad uh but you know he especially when he was with the 82nd airborne uh, you know it was not unusual for him to get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning and we wouldn't see him for three months um <laughs> subject to and, change without notice so it was it was uh it was the, our mom that that you know really kept the family together. Well, you know the there's two sides of that story as well, and and we've only seen it really since uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. It it's a, a different situation if you're living on base and you're right. called up because you've got your other families that are in the same spot as you're in, and so they fall in together and help each other. But if you're a reservist and you're called up, your next-door neighbor may not even know that you're in the reserves. That's true. And you're called up and you're gone. And and so we, since um, Desert Shield, we've asked that anyone that listens to the show that's not in the military, but they know that their neighbor is and that that neighbor's been called up, offer to help the, whoever's been left behind because they've been deployed in their own way as well and yep. light bulbs have to be changed and this needs to be fixed or a door needs a whatever so offer to help them and that goes for women helping the women and you know up and down the scale of things that can be done because in my opinion we have the greatest military in the world and it became even better as we went to a volunteer military and when a person raises their hand and volunteers they're signing a check to give their life for their country and it makes me sick to know that only one percent ever serve and it doesn't matter how you serve as long as you serve yeah i you know i'm not a big big proponent of the draft either but 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 um I, I, there is something to be said for uh, for having uh having skin in the game i suppose as far as a country is concerned i think uh like in israel for instance i think every male and female 
uh, and is if you're living in Israel, you owe the country two years. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you know there is something to be said for that. Uh, of course, we live in a free society, and people you know, people have have the choice of of stepping up and doing their part or letting somebody else do it. And uh, and that's you know and that's their choice, and they're no less of a citizen either way, but. But, it, you know, there is something to, to be said for having skin in the game. Well, I would say one other thing, and we, we bring this to light every every show that we do, and that is the fact that our military, if you're a graduating senior from high school or you've just gotten your degree from college or whatever and you haven't quite made up your mind what you want to do in life, but you have an interest in something, I can sit here, and I've done it now for... I don't know how many months, but I can guarantee you there's one branch of the military that can fulfill your wildest dreams, whether you want to be a pilot or you want to be a naval officer or whatever that is that you might want to do. Some branch of the military has a job for you that will, and it's not only just a job, but it what goes on your resume is that you you're a leader because you were in the military you've made it through your six years or your 20 years or whatever the case might be and the military today it's very competitive business-wise money-wise which is a good thing and uh, it wasn't like that in the past always but now it is it's very competitive uh, business-wise and you'll enjoy you know i've thought many times and when when i was on uh, in basic and AIT, you know, why in the world are we doing this? But as I look back on it, it was some of the greatest times of my life. And you'll make right. lifelong friends and be a part of something that is so big that, you know, you just can't, you can't even imagine how big the military is. And everybody's a brother and a sister. And... Whether you served in Nam or served in Afghanistan, wherever it doesn't matter. Are you served in World War Two? It doesn't matter. It's you're a brother and a sister, and you served and you you raised your hand to support your country and your flag. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I you know I personally, outside of my family, I'm I'm I like to hang around with veterans. Um, I, I feel more at ease with veterans than than anybody outside my family, uh, and it's just uh, I, I don't know why, but but I, I just know that that's that, that that's how I feel. Uh, you know, I, I, these are people that have have uh, kind of stepped outside themselves and and been willing to uh, been willing to, to to go for a for a cause you know greater than themselves. I think. Right. Um, at least for for a period of time, and and that's uh, you know I got a lot of respect for people that do that. You know, Skip. I, I guess one of the things too is that there's such a camaraderie, and there's no other. And, and the military has been practicing this for what 240 years now, and yes, um, I think they got it down pretty well. Pretty. Pretty well. They they teach you. They make you a leader. No matter what rank you come out as, if you've gone through it all, you still come out as a leader, and you've gone through it. And the military 
has a great way of breaking you down within the first couple of days, and then the rest of their time with you is building you up to make you the best. Right. And um, we have, whether they're drill sergeants or whatever they, the case might be, we have great leaders in our military. And as I said, um, everybody should go, should join the military and put in their time to just, if nothing else, to show respect for their country. And uh, we've got a great country, and we can't let it fail either. But um, we're well, going to have to... As you, as you alluded to, David, as well, you know, if you're, if you're coming out of high school or you're coming out of college and you're really not sure what you want to do yet, uh, you know, doing, going a couple of years... Uh, in, in one of the services, uh, well, in the first place, they are the greatest trainers in the world, depending upon, you know, whatever, whatever skill you want to learn, uh, you know, especially in flying. You know, I talk to people that learn to fly helicopters, for instance, on the, in the civilian side, and they never do an auto-rotation to the ground because, you know, you can break, you can break <laughs> the helicopter doing that. And, but in the Army... We did them. I mean, we, you know, we did the emergency procedures until um, they were second nature. Uh, and sometimes, you know, aircraft get broken doing that. But you know, the government can—I hate to say—it can afford it because it, but it can, as opposed to a civilian school. Well, well, um, explain know, the, what that is, because is there are a lot of realistic. A lot of people don't understand what what you're talking about, and that's where you. You do as soft a landing as you can when your engines failed you and you have the main rotor going counterclockwise so it'll sit you down. Is that more or less? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. That was, that was my bad. Yeah, an auto-rotation in a helicopter is when uh, if you lose your engine, um, you, you know, you're going to be going toward the ground. You're going to be uh, – the wind is going to be coming up through your rotor blades, and and you can – uh, you can use that to your advantage to slow. I mean, the aircraft still thinks it's flying; it just doesn't have an engine. Uh, and you can use uh, that air uh, going through your rotor blades to slow your descent, uh, and then adjust the pitch of your rotor blades at the bottom to where it 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 almost brings it to a stop, at least for a minute, um, or actually for a few seconds, but. But by adjusting that pitch of the rotor blades, it, it makes it it makes the rotor blades think they're lifting the aircraft, even though what they're really doing is is slowing the rate of descent down because you know gravity is gravity. Uh, but, it, but you learn how to how to do that in such a manner that as you know when you get to the right distance above the ground, you add that pitch to the rotor blades, and it slows your descent enough to where uh, you can land you know, reasonably softly. Uh, I mean, you're still going to hit a little harder than you might other ordinarily, but but you're not going to hurt the aircraft. What? what and what, what, again, what would... in uh, in a lot of civilian flight schools, they do what's called a power recovery about a hundred feet from the from the deck, and and really an auto uh, an auto rotation doesn't get doesn't get interesting until the last hundred feet. So, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, Even if you're we just... We learned to do that in the Army, and we did it all the way to the ground, and we did it over and over and over until we, you know, until we had it 
had it right. And, uh, and uh, on a, on know, a one they, to... they teach you how to fly without your hydraulics and how to land. And uh, I, I mean, you know, it's just wonderful training. And 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 they do that for any aspect of you know the infantry training is is the same way. The armor training is the same way. They you know they skill you. Uh, they teach you the skills that that uh, that you're going to need to survive. And and when uh, you're and doing they, those practices, Skip, what on a one to ten, what's your pucker factory? Factor. Uh, on an auto rotation? Yeah, or? yeah on a, exactly. Well, um, for a for real one, I mean, if you actually lose your engine, pucker factor is pretty high. <laughs> I'd say eight. But, but again, uh, I mean, it's just they train you so well that, you know, that you, you can do it. There, I mean, there are a lot of other factors in losing an engine, I mean, you got to find a place to land. Right. Um, it's sort of like which, if you lose an engine in a fixed wing, and uh, and are I never enjoy doing stalls. Quite frankly, um, I was very happy at uh, you know altitude level flying, and uh, but I was always doing what you just mentioned is looking for a place to put it down if you had to. Oh yeah. Well, that's what, you know, that's one of the things I guess they teach all pilots, no matter what you're flying, is is you need to be ready, you know, when, if you do lose an engine or you do have some sort of an emergency, you always got to be looking for a place to go. Um, and, I mean, and you also always have to be looking for other aircraft around you uh, or birds or trees or you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh but but yeah, it, it's uh, uh, it, uh, the military does great a great job of training. Oh, absolutely! And this is uh, you know, and like I said, it's any field. If you want electronics, if you want whatever the and the other thing is today, they have such a wonderful educational program. Either while you're on active duty, you can get your master's degree or get your degree, in fact. Or yep. you can, when you get out, you can go on the GI Bill. And by the way, that that's something that we like to mention, too. And, and I know in the organizations that you're involved in that they have service officers. And we, uh, we always mention that the DAV, the uh, VFW, American Legion, whatever. If, you, if you're a veteran... Or you're a family member of a veteran that has passed away or whatever the circumstance might be, go to one of your service organizations, like I said, American Legion, VFW, whatever, and ask to see a service officer. And a veteran has so many benefits today that a lot of veterans and certainly veterans' families don't know about and uh, these um, service officers, they know it from the inside out and the outside in, and they're—that's what their job is—to help families and veterans find out what benefits are available to that veteran. What the VA, you know, it might be money, it might be, it might be a burial lot, it might be any number of things. But look up if if you're a veteran or family member of a veteran talk to your service officer you, you know be. that uh, that's one of the things that that the state of georgia 
is is really the Department of Labor under the state of Georgia does a great job uh, looking out for veterans, and uh, they they have veteran services officers offices all around the state, and they really are good. They're, I mean, they they uh, they will help you if you're if you're dealing with the VA, for instance, on a claim. The veteran services officers are, are very helpful with with that. You know, they lo- they know the language to use to write your claim. Uh, they, you know, I guess the buzzwords or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, and and kudos to the state of Georgia for for what they do for their veterans because they they those folks uh, work hard and do a good job. Absolutely, and uh, we have a, a good friend, uh, Colonel uh, Phil Farsberg, that does a show uh, remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and he's quite active with uh, 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 DAV, Disabled American Veterans, and, uh, you know, Phil's a wonderful guy. And, and I, I think you mentioned, you know, just a veteran takes care you know uh, in vietnam it was i've got your back you got my back i got your six you got my six whatever the case but even even out of war veterans take care of veterans yep and uh, well in fact the avvba we have a, a scholarship program um and of course we're all too old for it but it's for our you know it's one generation helping another basically um but we we have scholarships that uh, that we give to uh, Afghanistan and Iraq veterans. That's super. And uh, how do people get a hold of you, and how would they join the Vietnam Veterans Business Association? Well, our website is avvba.org. And um, if you're a Vietnam veteran and you're living in the Atlanta area and you would like to join us, if you go up on avvba.org, there's a click on on uh, uh, membership. Uh, there's a you know it tells you what all we need. One of the things that we we do require is a DD-214, which is the 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 form that shows your service uh, because it, it, you you have to have a Vietnam Service Medal as as one of your decorations. Uh, uh, in order to qualify for membership in the AVVBA, unless you are uh, like we're a donut dolly or something like that, um, but but in terms of uh, if you're a Vietnam veteran, that that is a a requirement for for our membership. Um, but of course, there are a lot of other veterans organizations out there too that that uh, that uh, are are you know, good to be part of. Uh, and you can you can get a lot of benefits from those. You know, uh, I was speaking to um, a vet the other day. It happens to be a, a major lady, as a matter of fact, but she made a very good point, and if you haven't done it, please do it. You don't know how important that DD-214 is, and it's good to go to your local courthouse, probate court, and get it filed, get it copied, and get a certified copy of it, and uh, just make sure you know where that is. 
and any other paperwork that you might have from the government as you were honorably discharged that uh, you might or might not need down the road, but better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And a lot of Absolutely. veterans, a lot of veterans went through that just recently when um, the uh, records department in D.C. was closed for almost a year and veterans couldn't get their records. And uh, there were literally cases of veterans dying because they couldn't get their records from yep. D.C. And so we 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 raised some cane about that and we uh, I, I wouldn't say that we single-handedly got, got it done, but it is open again. And uh, Well, that's good and thank you for what you did there because that's... Uh you're absolutely right. If you don't have a DD-214, you can't be buried in a veteran cemetery. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that uh, in terms of benefits, that, uh, that 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 proves your status as a veteran, and it's a mighty important document. Oh, no question about it. And uh, so if, if you've all and, and not only do you need to know where it is, make sure your family knows where it is. Yep, and um, that and explain to them how important it how important that uh, DD two fourteen is in the reserves. It's a DD two sixty four, I believe. But um, anyway, an honorable discharge is an honorable discharge, and uh, you should have whatever military records you have, and be sure that uh, you, you know where they are and how to get to them. And you know, this is. Um, these are things that the the service officers help you with, and yes. they they know how to cut through the the red and yellow and purple tape or whatever color it happens to be, and um, it, it's good to know. Uh, Skip, we're about ready to wind it up, but uh, is there anything you want to mention about uh, any of your organizations that you're involved in besides the uh, business association? Um. Well, I'm, I'm also involved with the Georgia chapter of the Vietnam Helicopter Pilots Association, and their website is ga-vhpa.org. And uh, uh, again, if you if you were a helicopter pilot in Vietnam and uh, you want to get together with some other helicopter pilots uh, from that era, uh, come up on the website. We have a breakfast. Uh, every other month, and uh, you know, we get together and have a speaker and tell war stories. And and, and I uh, and I understand one of the requirements is that you can only tell one story. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> not a chance, pal. <laughs> 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 yeah, nobody. In fact, we have had whole meetings where where we went around and 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 gave a prize for the best best war story so because uh, some of them are actually pretty funny oh, yeah. some of them aren't but some of them are so uh, and that's kind of kind of what we would uh, we would concentrate on was the humorous ones but that that's also uh, do you get into a little one-upsmanship sometimes <laughs> but with that being said uh, skip thank you so colonel bell thank you so much for being on today and uh, uh one last question will you come back well, I, if, if, you know, if you want me to. Absolutely. And uh, you're, you're a hero, and we thank you for your service, and thank you for serving in NAM, and, and thank you for getting back safely. 
And, well, uh, you're welcome, David, and thank you. And and you are a hero as well for for all you do for our veterans. Well, it's uh, certainly our pleasure, and we love our veterans. So we'll be back next week with more of David's pick, and uh, we'll get Colonel Bell back on. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.